The Nutty Bikes Podcast is geek certified by the Geek Out with Mainframe Podcast. Hey, I've got taste. Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Chas, and I have a special episode of Nutty Bites for you. This is an episode that was recorded at Balticon. This is part of the intro to Ghibli cast. So we're going to be talking about Princess Mononoke and... Uh, yeah, and how many people we upset because apparently uh, Tech and I being critical of a movie at a con was not the best idea. So I hope that you enjoy this. It's, uh, it's a little bit different. If you're listening to the Dog Days feed, uh, this is dropping in the middle of Dog Days. This is a longer episode than would normally come out on the Nutty Bites feed. If you'd like to skip it, go right ahead. But it is a movie... So it kind of falls into the whole dinner and a movie thing. So check that out. Uh, to the regular listeners, uh, just a little kind of meta update. I'm thinking about, well, I'm thinking about my production. Uh, my my workflow is kind of upset. As you can see, I end up only getting my episodes out at the end of the month, which is not really helpful. What it should be is twice monthly, you know, so having two weeks in between instead of say a week in between. And so that's not really helpful for all of you. And it mostly ends up that I, I have these recorded episodes and then I sit down and I record them one after the other. And it takes me so long to get around to doing it that it's just not fair to the listener. So I'm thinking about uh, lightening the editing process and lifting the PG rating? I don't know. I know that some people listen to this with their children. So I need you to contact me. I need you to tell me your thoughts on this. If changing the PG rating is going to change how you listen to this show or stop you from listening, let me know. Uh, you can send me an email. You can uh, Facebook me. Uh, you can Twitter me. You can do comment on the website wherever you want. Please uh, talk to me on Patreon. Let me know, um, would lifting the PG rating change how you feel about this show? And um, I wouldn't go so far as to explicit, but if somebody drops a swear word, I'm not going to work on editing it. So we'll see. And then I just have to make sure that people don't do things that they ask me to later then edit out. <laughs> so please enjoy this episode. Thank you so much. Oh, and since this is a Patreon episode, I do need to thank our awesome patrons. Uh, they have been the reason that I'm putting out two episodes a month. Although for dog days, you're like, huh, you're doing every day. Well, I don't normally do every day. I do two episodes a month. And, uh, thanks to, and that was one, the first reward level. So I do want to thank you all. And, uh, thank you. <laughs> it, it makes me doing this, uh, just a little bit easier. So thank you to daddy Warbucks, uh, Jason Banks. Thank you to Jax, our QC person. Thank you to Beth. Thank you to Aurora Lee, uh, Susan, Melissa, a Bartell, the bathtub mermaid to Susanna, to Kinsey, to Ian of the Web of Queer to Harlan, sorry, Harold, sorry, I mixed your two names, <laughs> Harold, to Jen of the Talk Nerdy to Me podcast, to Patrick Scafido, he's an author, check him out, Thousand Heads, to Shane Poole of the Red Dwarf Introcast, to Rich the Time Traveler, to Dagny, to Mike of the Redacted Files, to Ken Kennedy of Kenzoid's Autonomous Zone, and to Lynette of the Bycast. Thank you so much for keeping the lights on and making us have two episodes a month. Thank you. 
Welcome to Intro to Ghibli covers Princess Mononoke. To give a little background for everybody, some of you have already heard this, but I just hit record. Uh, for a little bit of background, Intro to Ghibli is an intro cast that is part of the Nutty Bites podcast, uh, where tech and myself, we have never seen the Studio Ghibli movies, always wanted to. After seeing Totoro, I said, we need to do this, and we need to document it. So we got our favorite guides, uh, Jason and Jen from the Talk Nerdy to Me podcast, to guide us through each of these films. And luckily, uh, today we are here at Balticon, so we have two extra special guests to help guide us. Um, we are going through the Studio Ghibli movies, starting with Studio Ghibli, going through Miyazaki's films at Ghibli, in order, mostly, because we did Totoro first. And uh, after that, we'll go on to the other Ghibli movies that aren't Miyazaki, and then we'll do Miyazaki without Ghibli, and we'll eventually cover everything. But this is the basic premise and format of our podcast. So I do ask that you not spoil anything that came after Princess Mononoke. So good clearance. Totoro, spoil away. Uh, Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso, spoil away. Whisper of the Heart, spoil away. And there's one more. What am I forgetting? Princess Mononoke. Was it Capita? Capital? Was it Castle <laughs> no. in the Sky? We didn't yeah. do that. Didn't do that. Princess Mononoke. <laughs> Prince yeah. Mononoke. Okay. Is that it? Was it yeah. Oh, and Kiki. Yeah, yeah. Kiki. The one I'm wearing. You can totally so. spoil Kiki. Um, so we're going to introduce ourselves. And. Hi, I'm Nettie. I'm from Nettie Bates. Hi, I'm Tech. I am the antagonist, foil, martial artist, and uh, guy with a lot of brain problems. And uh, trust me, if they let me rant for the three pages I've written here, uh, <laughs> wow, was this movie not my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. I'm Jen. I'm from the Talk Nerd Team Podcast. And I'm Jason, the brainchild behind the Talk Nerd Team Podcast. And I'm Laura Nicole of Resident Moon Audiobook Solutions and author of uh, Stonebriar Case Files, Bad Alchemy. Uh, I'm Greg Larson. I was the president of Katsukon Entertainment for four years. I still work with Katsukon on their uh, board of directors, and I'm also a sci-fi author uh, who's written Trolley, the Punk Walrus Saga, and Space Bitch. I think I actually have to bleep his book title. No, it's fine. It's a, pro it's a proper title. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Awesome, awesome. So, for those of you who aren't listeners of the regular podcast, um, the podcast is PG-rated because the kids watch these movies. Kids should be able to listen to us talk about it. Although we do sometimes get into mature themes with some innuendo, but we try not to curse. Uh, so, initial reactions, and Tech and I are going to start with brief initial reactions to this movie. Um, Want summary first? No. Okay. We'll do that next. Uh, I was not expecting it to be quite so long. Uh, it was beautiful, and it was sad to see all those dead animator corpses all over this movie because there's no way any of those animators lived through making this. It was so gorgeous. Um, I didn't walk away filled with the feelings and emotions that I have from the other movies. Tech. When I reviewed Spirited Away, I said that it wasn't a very good movie, but... Princess Mononoke. No, no. I'll get to that. Yeah, when but I haven't seen Spirited Away is what okay, we're the, saying. Okay, the one that I watched. The, the Whisper of the Heart. There when I reviewed Whisper of the Heart, I said that it, was, uh, it wasn't a very good movie, but it was very good at being a Miyazaki movie. So all of the things, like the music, the voice acting, the animation, all of those things were there. 
but the plot and something to make me care about the characters wasn't. So that gave it a 5 out of 10. This will be a heck of a lot lower because um, unlike all the other movies that just stopped and had no ending, this went into an ending that was an hour too late and um, forgot everything that made a good Miyazaki movie other than the animation. So this had nothing that made it good and uh, to me was a disaster of filmmaking. I was so angry last night watching this movie. Oh my gosh. Jen? I'm hoping he was only angry because he was tired. <laughs> Jason? Your, your reaction? Uh, that was my reaction. <laughs> you got um, so, Princess Mononoke was my first uh, of the Ghibli films. So, it has a nostalgia to me that cannot be replaced. Um, so, and I, I remember a lot of the strong imagery um, and, and the, the themes of it, which, you know, make me smile and make me think. So, I enjoyed it. Um, and I don't care what anybody else says. And you're right. You enjoy it. You know, that our personal opinions of anything we view is 100% accurate for us. Um, I would say that this was probably my third or fourth Miyazaki film that I'd seen. And I, I saw it shortly after it came out uh, in Japan. And I got it through probably less than legal means. Uh, this was that long ago. And the bootlegging was very common. was the only way to see anime. It was uh, a VHS bootleg at yeah, that. <laughs> Um, I would have to say that I, I did enjoy the film. I didn't consider it one of his best, only because I thought that it was a very mature theme uh, without uh, a whole lot of substance behind it. But I still enjoyed it, mm -hmm. and uh, I also come from a background uh, that I went through like this kind of like pagan Wiccan cycle in my life, so I understood a lot of the themes that were presented, uh, especially the, uh, again, we're getting into like kind of the Prince of the Forest that was in Totoro, but you also have this, this, this great king, and uh, what happens when you destroy nature, there's a lot of themes in that movies that you didn't mention in your list, so I, I won't, but I will say that Totoro is one of them, so... I think last night uh, we kept referencing this as Japanese fern gully. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <coughs> and there's a, there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between those two movies. Yeah. And by the way, I, I also love fern gully, so that's not right. a dig at all. <laughs> so, Tech, can you give us our quick summary of this movie? Boy kills pig. Pig is demon. Boy banished for getting cancer from pig. Um... Boy, while banished, finds other demons, kills other demons, um, and a bunch of Japanese samurai, and a bunch of elks, and a bunch of pigs, and a bunch of wolves, and a bunch of other things, and uh, the end. Or something like that. I, I don't know. It, it, it's, hard, it's hard to summarize briefly in 30 seconds, but uh, basically it's a three-sided war for control of a forest with a giant, weirdly creepy king of the forest thing that walks on water. And, uh, yeah, you can get leprosy from killing a boar, apparently. Um, possessed by an evil spirit, yeah. Yeah, well, it makes sense to me, right? <laughs> so, first we're going to talk a little bit about the characters and their voice actors and get a little bit into that. So let's start with, and I always screw up everybody's names. Um, I think I'll do a little bit, a little bit better this time. So, Prince Ashik. Ashitaka. Ashitaka, thank you. Uh, mean dude. Um, Billy Crudup. Billy Crudup. Billy Crudup, yeah. Doc Manhattan himself. Uh, I loved I loved the voice acting. Uh, he was an interesting character. 
I was expecting some poor treatment of native culture going into this because uh, the Japanese don't have a great his- history of that. Yeah. Oh, I was I happily surprised that uh, that was not an issue that I had here. And um, I really enjoyed uh, this character's constant desire to make peace. That was my, my big prediction after the last movie. You know, what, what did I think this movie was going to be? And I was expecting you know, Japanese dances with wolves, but a lot more racist. And that it was going to be really, really bad treatment of indigenous cultures. And none of that came up. You know, talking about the characters and the voice actors, uh, the voice acting cast I thought did fantastic. Uh, and they always do. That, that's one of the beauties of the Miyazaki films is that the voice actors are all really, really good. The problem I have with this was the people I was watching it with were beating themselves in the face with rusty chains. With, oh my God, it's Gillian Anderson. She's amazing. It's Gillian Anderson. You know she was in the X-Files, right? Yes, I'm familiar with the works of Gillian Anderson. But who would do that? Who would go who, who on would do that? about that? Mr. Hugh? <laughs> who would... Hi. So, it, it, but that's the thing. It's that her voice acting was good. Yeah. It was good. It wasn't great. None of them did great. None of them did Kirsten Dunst and Kiki great. Well, and I think part of that has to do with the writing. And the, 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 the characters, the voice acting was great. All-star casts, especially in the translations, guess what? Uh, uh, Ghibli with the House of Mouse behind them, really good at that. But I, I don't, I, I didn't see anything in this that made me think beyond competent. So let's, uh, we've got the character, Gillian Anderson was... Moro. Um, Moro, which was the big wolf. Yes. And we had Claire Danes as San... Does anybody want to tell us some awesome stuff about San? Because that was a pretty cool character. Well, no. I equate, I I definitely equate San to a a recent character that's in video games who's an awesome character. Um, Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn. That, San reminds me of her, and I think they took a little bit of San to make her um, Aloy. One of the things I love about San is that she is not a chick in the bucket. She is not She's not in the fridge. She's not nuking the fridge. She's awesome. She's competent. She's awesome. She doesn't need Ashitaka to save her in any way, shape, or form. In fact, she probably could kick Ashitaka's butt if he didn't have his bow. Um, and I think that's ex- that's illustrated in, in her attempts in the movie to assassinate Lady Eboshi. Um, also, when Moro is shot in the chest... Um, she immediately goes to to try to suck out the poison. It's one of the most visual. It's visually striking yeah. to see that scene because it's so brutal. And I think that's one of the things about Mononoke that's much much different from almost every other Ghibli uh, Miyazaki film is that it's brutal. The the fight yeah. scenes in these aren't very long, but my gosh, are they brutal? I mean, so uh, one one of the 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 things that uh, I found being into anime earlier than a lot of people, like in the 80s and mid-90s, is that when other friends of mine who had kids asked me what they should, what are, what's good in anime, uh, I would recommend uh, Miyazaki almost uh, um, without question, would, but I would never recommend Grave of Fireflies, and I would never recommend uh, Princess Mononoke, because a friend of mine had a very traumatic incident with it. Now, 
they had rented it from a, a video store, and uh, there were older girls that were watching it between, like, I think, like 10 and 12, and then one of them was six. And that was her little oh, sister. No. Yeah. So there, there, there was a lot. There was a lot of backlash from that. And so when I think about that, I think like, well, this. I agree. Is this is a very brutal piece? This, this really is. But I think in its raw honesty was something that I liked. It. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I like Zen and what she did. And you mentioned about like when the bullet went into the wolf's neck that she sucked out. Oh my god, that scene was amazing. That and you know, and she just wipes the blood from her mouth, and you're like, well, this is uh, this is this is definitely has a kind of a raw kind of a feel to it. And and that's one of the things that I liked about it. Uh, although earlier uh, comments about it being very long is also true. So not only do you have some brutal violence. Uh, but you also have an attention span that you have to worry about, especially with younger kids. Um, I'm not sure I would let a 10-year-old watch this. I think in fandom you'll find that a lot of the kids are a little bit more mature yeah. at a younger age, which can be a disadvantage when you're... Yeah, you'd have to know the kid. Yeah, you have yeah. to know the kid. Like, if you don't know the kid and you just show it to, like, some random girls at, like, a slumber party... Probably not a good idea, but if you show it to like you know uh, a like a mixed group of people that are fanish that have grown up in the SCA that you know some of their parents are EMTs and then you go oh yeah well I'm sure they've heard worse from dad's work you know or whatever yeah the, yeah one of those opening scenes when he's decapitating people with arrows yeah you know yeah, yeah there's some for a Miyazaki film there is some some jarringly disturbing visuals I mean. You know, I was uh, I was in you know a mid nineties. I you know anime. I started in like the mid nineties, late eighties, and you know, you don't get a lot of violence in, in the cartoons no, un- you until you get into like the Ghost in the Shells and the Ninja Scrolls. And you know, this is the guy that did. The Ninja Scrolls. This is the, this is the guy that did my neighbor Totoro. Why did yeah. that man's head fall off? You know, this is. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. So, um, who can tell us a little bit about uh, Lady Eboshi? Lady Eboshi is probably one of my favorite villains. I'm hoping somebody not different, so we get it all around. Pick them out. I wasn't able to watch it, so I wasn't able oh. to get a refresher. All right, so <laughs> overall themes I can do, but all right, Lady Eboshi is I'm gonna call her radical, to be honest. Yeah, definitely um, for her setting. Yeah. Oh yeah. She has she is taking care of this little town that she has created. She has lepers. And treats them just like equals. And as we know, most people, you see a leper, you're like, oh my god, no. She treats them just like um, any other person. Treats them as equals. And these people look up to her because of this. Um, she has prostitutes that work for her. She pays them actual money. And they look up to her because she treats them all as equals. But the thing with her is... She kind of wants to just kill off the animal population around because, um, well, she's a radical. I, I mean, mean they, it's for money in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They illustrate it. I mean, one of the lepers even says when Ashitaka meets them for the first time, he goes, be careful, young man. Lady Eboshi wants to rule the world. Yeah. 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 I think it's it's almost like a, a parallel between an industrialized Japan and a pre-industrialized Japan. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the, right that's on the, the theme that I got from yeah. that. So yeah, very much you know uh, the Meiji reversion, like the whole uh, the same themes that they explored in movies like The Last Samurai, mm-hmm. where you know it's a modern Japan uh, having to come to grips with its past and where its future is going and where the world is going, and you get to see that with the. Um, uh, the samurais charging into cannonade gunfire. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, the... The, uh, the aftermath, where they're blown apart. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. guys, you know, screaming, word, my leg, my arm. I mean, it's visceral, the things she does in this. I mean... I mean, that, she, lo- that lump of iron, about yay big... Yeah. That, yeah. That, that that you you have no idea where it comes from at the beginning of the movie, and then as you go on, it's like no, that's a that's a that's a that's a bullet that yeah. was yeah. fired from a gun into the neck of a wolf. And, yeah, and, and that's yeah. bad. One of the things about Lady Eboshi that is definitely illustrated by her actions is that she's a no nonsense character. Mm-hmm. Um, later on in the film, Ashitaka asks her, he's like, "Why do you keep doing this? We have all enough. We have enough hatred. Why do we need more?" And she's like, really, Ashitaka? How about I just cut that damn arm off? Because he's talking about, because he's been poisoned by this and it's killing him. And he's saying, you know, this will kill me. It's going to eat me alive. And she's like, whatever, I'll just cut it off. You know, like when, when Moro attacks, her, her second in command wants to start shooting right away. She goes, no, wait. And she waits until Moro is literally on top eating her dudes when she unloads these uh, flamethrowers and bullets into Moro and knocks her off the cliff. Mm-hmm. She's decisive, cutthroat, and she knows what she wants. But she's still not, she's not evil because she does treat le- the lepers like human beings. She, they even say... She's fighting for her cause that she yeah. feels is right. Yeah, because, and I think, I can't remember who said it, but the best villain... Yeah, absolutely. The best villains think they're the hero of their yeah. own story. Yeah. And she thinks she's doing the right thing. And... In some ways, she is because she does. She she's progressive. She treats her prostitutes with equal equal rights. She also gives them the freedom that they want. Like I mean, one of the girls says in the movie, she says, she goes, "We don't get attention from men unless we want them to," and it, it, it's a great thing. And even the the lepers say, you know, she changed our bandages. She washed our wounds. Like, and she didn't care if she caught it or not. And it, that's why I think she's such a great villain because she is the hero of her own story. Yeah, she's a tip to writers. If you uh, describe your villains as evil, you're doing a disservice to your villains. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at you, Ted Williams. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, sorry, I, no, I had to go there. No, that's great. Um, the last character I want to talk about before we move on to major themes is uh, the, the king of the forest spirits. The weird-looking elk thing, who did not have a voice... Or any sounds, but I think that made it better. Yeah. Look, Greg, you want to talk a little bit about that? He's above that. Um, well, okay, so when, when I saw this film, you know, I, I, I did see the, the very obvious throwing in your face about, like, nature being superior and being the ultimate. Because that's a theme that I've seen in a lot of films. And, I mean, we've seen it in, in Avatar. Uh, we've seen it in uh, Fern Gully, which is, you know, the kind of the precursor to Avatar, in my opinion. Um <laughs> And also in other in other Miyazaki pieces, some which you know you have not seen yet. And so, um, to me, that was a very powerful powerful thing because it was mostly like everything that happened was with music and that sacred space and those strange little and I've forgotten the name of them. The but yeah, yeah, yeah the you know, the turn their head and then rattle. Um, all all of those I, I thought was well, this is an interesting visual piece, which is something. That I've said a lot, of, a lot about Miyazaki. When we talk later about style, one of the things I like about him is uh, uh, the, the studio is that they know how to do light properly. Mm-hmm. Like they're really good with drawing light. And this came out uh, whenever the, the the King of the Forest was was mentioned and uh, or, or or shown. Um, and I think like 
for me, it was it was almost like a, that was the kind of ending that I that I kind of wanted, like you know, as, as a moviegoer. Uh, but um, it took a long time to get there, so I could understand why certain people who don't have long attention spans would find it a little bit difficult. And then they're like, well, what's this part, you know? Um, but I think that uh, uh, I, I just I like the uh, I like the king, um, and again, the fact that he didn't really have to speak. Uh, kind of gave him that powerful thing. There's uh, one of the, one of the uh, interesting things about the effects of sound. I know that uh, in one of the Star Wars prequels, there was this uh, type of bomb that was uh, thrown out into an asteroid field, and the the, the Foley uh, uh, people they were trying to figure out what sound would come with an explosion, and then this knife-like laser that would just slice up all the rocks, creating chaos. And they got, they got the after effects, but they couldn't figure out what the sound would be when it exploded. And somebody pointed out, you know what sounds better when it explodes and makes no sound? And then two seconds later is that strange fan sound as it starts cutting through the asteroids. And, and that's a good example of that kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's another example of the whole less is more. Yes. Right. And, you know, there's a difference between no sound or between quiet and silence. Mm-hmm. That's true. Silence is more than just the absence. It, it, it's it's nothing, and it, silence is incredibly powerful. Very, and in yeah. in a movie, especially a Miyazaki film, you know, and the things about the, you know the animation and the music, it's that if you look at standard uh, North American animation, there's only one thing that moves, and that's the thing that your eye is supposed to be drawn to. Everything else is like a matte painted background, and you're watching Scooby Doo move across the scene, and that same lamp goes across the background 79 yeah. times in the scene, yeah. and that's all you see because that's how it was in a Miyazaki film. Everything moves, and there's yeah. like these wide scenes, and you're watching the grass sway, and you're watching the ripples across the water move in a different direction, and you're watching a character over here, and a bird over here, and a kudama in the corner going rattle, 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 yeah. rattle, 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 and you're watching. <laughs> it's all over the screen. I have ADHD. I can't concentrate. I can't see everything on the screen at once because everything is just so busy. And, you know, it was done beautifully well, the animation. The music the music I had problems with in this one because it wasn't as good as it was in Kiki and in the other movies that we've seen because it pulled me out of it at times. And the whole time I'm watching this, I have Hugh going, oh my God, I love this piece of music. I had the soundtrack. <laughs> this is the most beautiful soundtrack ever. And... I, I apologize to you, Hugh, but I have to say it. Because especially during the combat scenes, it would get to somewhere between that Kirk-Spock fight music or a Danny Elfman score. Where I'm, I'm watching this scene and something's happening. There's wolves and bows and things are going. And then it's... And it's like, I'm watching a movie again. This is garbage. The soundtrack should be that thing in the back of my head that brings me that extra layer. It, music is 3D glasses. Music takes something flat and makes it three-dimensional. A, a beautiful score, the most amazing score in a movie is the one you don't notice. It's the one that was in the background the whole time. You can't remember how a single song goes, but you know you like the soundtrack. And you know that it added that extra layer of depth. And it didn't happen in this one. You want to talk about major themes? I don't remember a single piece of movie in this music other than uh, a single piece of music in this movie, pardon me, except for dog, elk. Which is kind of funny because isn't that what the inside of your head is always like? <laughs> so um, I, work, I work with guns all day. What is an armorer's favorite letter? E- 
because it's so, all you. Anyway, sorry. So anyway, um, <laughs> Tech and I have different forms of ADD. So that's definitely something that we came into this dealing with. Um, had I realized how long it was, maybe we wouldn't have watched it here. We were trying to experience it with our co-host. And I don't think we're going to do that in the future, except for Grave of the Fireflies, because this man has to hold me during that. Um, but, uh, it, 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 yeah, I think that um, there's definitely that. I feel that this movie is much like Star Trek The Motion Picture. It's gorgeous. It's showing us all this amazing visual stuff that they can do. But it's Ten minutes of feature. It's long. And if it were cut down and made tighter, personally, I could process it better. And normally, I'm fine with long movies. If something's two hours long, I'm happy. I was really excited that Whisper of the Heart was a two-hour movie. This one, I, it felt like it was taking a long time, too. And I don't normally feel that. Yeah, But Star Trek The Motion Picture is a good movie. But it's not the best Star Trek. And it's definitely was used to show off a lot of the visual stuff that they did. And I feel like Princess Mononoke, they were showing off a lot of amazing things. I mean, it was the first time they started using digital uh, with their hand-drawn. Oh, that scene where you watch the rain hit the rocks and you see these little yeah. specks hit the rock in various points. And then the rock changes color as the whole thing goes wet yeah. and the rain fo- the Beautiful animation. Absolutely uh, yeah, gorgeous. That, that animator hung himself. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah they're all dead. That entire so, animator cast is dead. And, and the other parallel for Star Trek The Motion Picture is they have these characters, they have this plot, they have this story. I found that I didn't care about the characters in the way that I cared about Kiki um, and, and the characters in Totoro. Like, I really felt for those other characters. And these characters, all right, it was cool. But that was it. And in Star Trek The Motion Picture, even though I already loved those characters, yeah. I didn't care about them as much as I did in other uh, Star Trek films and TV shows. And we didn't even get into Beta, Riker, and Troy to care about them at all. What this movie felt like to me was a lot like the first Lord of the Rings movie. Okay. Where it went on way too bloody long. To you know, trying to be loyal to a story and trying to tell the best story you possibly can. But the first Lord of the Rings movie is I have to take the ring past the forest of Faldemaldemaldemald to the town of Pindipindipindipim to the mountain of Katabalabla to the thing of this to that to that and around the thing around the bend around the maypole seven times to this. The, the entire movie is you taking a walk to drop a, ma- a ring into a volcano. It doesn't need twelve hours of movie to tell this story. And there's a lot of this movie that just felt like it dragged. Mm. And um, I kind of liked the first Lord of the Rings movie. I didn't like the second. I never watched the third. When it got to the point of a dude shield surfing down a staircase, firing arrows at people, I rage quit, left the theater, and never went back to the franchise. Um, See, I hope I don't have to rage quit Miyazaki after you this You won't. One. You won't. One, one of the things I think why it can feel like it's dragging is because the moments of increased tension and pace yeah. are, are, are very small. Mm-hmm. Like if we, if if you got to those points quicker, it wouldn't feel as dragging, right? Because, like I said, the the battle scenes, right? When they show, like specifically when Ashitaka gets the Iron Town and they're talking about how Lady Eboshi arrived, 
she literally shows up with her men and burns down half the forest and kills most of the boar. Mm-hmm. And they're like, dude, she showed up and she wrecked house. And those are some great flashbacks. She even talks about how she's not afraid of the Emperor's men because those are the dudes she fired off against and, like, just, you know, wrecked them. How creepy was the guys walking around in the boar skins? Yeah. Oh, that was freaking that, creepy. That was you know, amazing. That out. Yeah. Again, the animator who did them where they were hiding and they were they were moving against the ground and they would go up to a Kodo and they were brushing him and getting their scent and all that good stuff so that he couldn't smell them. He's like, my men, they've come back to me. Keith David, I love you, by the way. Um, <laughs> that is a... It's, the, the end, I will say this. The, getting to the end of this movie does take time. But that final sequence where Okoto tells Moro, look, we'll help, we'll take your help, but we have to have a stand-up fight against the humans. We have to go one more time. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. it, and it speaks to the fact that she says, that's what they want you to do. If you were to be more subtle and not pig-headed, pun intended, <laughs> uh, you, you could do better. And he's like, no, we just have to go. And he gets all the boars and they go. And Okoto and his dudes roll up against, and they get wrecked. Because they go into a full-on assault where there's mines and bombs. And not only is it Lady Eboshi's men, but it's also Jigo's men. And when he comes back, he's the only one left. And again, this is why kids should not watch this movie. He's got arrows and bones sticking out of him. He's bleeding everywhere to the point where he loses what humanity or or what cognizance he has. And he loses the ability to talk. He starts screaming and gouting blood. And then he, too, becomes a demon. Yeah, the, it, the the worms of cancer are really creepy yeah, too. Yeah, and it's that that whole last segment in this movie is awesome, and I will mm-hmm. openly admit that it slows down so badly once they start going after the king of the forest, mm-hmm. because you've got all this violence and fighting and such. I, one of the things that you don't get to see much from Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli is combat, and the yeah. combat in this movie is. Awesome. The sword fight between Lady Eboshi. It's graphic. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 sword... it's awesome, but it's graphic. Oh, absolutely. It's very good. You know, the sword fight between Lady Eboshi and San. She has a cane sword, by the way. If you didn't notice, she throws away her cloak and pulls out a cane sword and blocks uh, San's attack. And they're having an awesome fight. And then Ashitaka summons his Goku powers out of his arm and, <laughs> and throws that giant support beam that he rips off the roof. And hits the, by the way, he, uh, he hits that torch and nearly sets, um, um, oh, what's the bald guy's name? Gonza. Uh, yeah. Uh, was it Danza? Gonza. Gonza. And nearly sets him on fire and it's like, ow, hot! And he starts walking through the crowd and the world starts freaking out because he gets cancer, spiritual yep. cancer worms coming out of his arm. And he literally grabs both of them and that's when he gives his speech. And all of that is really good. And it slows down to a crawl when they go after the, the, the forest spirit. Even though I feel that is also brutal. Because they shoot this dude twice. They shoot him through the neck once and then blow his head off. So, Laura, yes. tell, us, tell us some of the major themes that are really important to you about this film. So, for me, it really started my, um, my understanding and, and uh, endearment of environmentalism. Because I I saw in the forest and I saw in the forest that all the things around me that were that were really important to me um, where I lived I lived in the Netherlands at the time um, when this came out and so I saw it I think when I was probably ten or eleven um, and it was pretty brutal uh, for, for me but at the same time um, you know I was like 
well, why wouldn't they defend themselves? Oh, because in our real life, they can't. They don't have somebody to, to, to champion them. So uh, I, I really appreciated the overarching themes of, um, of environmentalism. I appreciated the, um, the subtle feminism Mm-hmm. In, in the movie because uh, <laughs> I didn't even know what feminism was at the time when I first saw it, saw it but you know you had all of these great women powerful women who Miyazaki's been good for that overall yeah. throughout the yeah. whole, all the whole remember life. that this was my first Miyazaki right yeah yeah um, so but I was seeing in these you know uh, I, not a traditional princess but I was seeing leaders Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, regardless of what side you're on, you made a great point about um, you know the villains are not are, are heroes in their own story, and um, it, it was definitely a bunch of examples of um, of women who who are both compassionate and strong and doing what's right for what they believe in, and so those were some pretty good role models for me. Um, even though there was that industrialization and whatnot, but I also grew up in a military home, so you know the having yep. having that kind of warfare was actually something that that we were kind of living because this was also during like the Bosnia conflict and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And what I what I like um, what about that is that you can have somebody that's on the opposite side of a belief system for you. And you can still respect them. And that's kind of neat yeah. to see that about uh, Lady Oboshi is because, okay, I love what she's trying to do for those people and, and, and the, the community she's trying to build. Mm-hmm. But I don't like what she's doing By to the environment. all of Yeah, and I don't like that she doesn't care about anyone outside of her own community. Whoa. And that it's very um, centered around only her people matter. And I think it's really neat because a lot of times, especially today, a lot of times we see somebody that disagrees with us so drastically that we can't possibly come to their side on anything. I mean, we've all had this thing. Oh, well, this famous person said something I agree with. Maybe I should reevaluate my thinking on that. I think this is neat because it shows the levels of character that you can have. You can, you can agree with somebody and disagree with them at the same time. Right. And I like that. You I know, like that a lot. The, I mean, the, again, toting on Lady Boshi, she even says when Ashitaka first shows up, he's like, look, you shot this boar with this. It cursed me. And she goes, you know, she says, that damn boar, he shouldn't have cursed you. He should have cursed me. She's like, I'm the one that shot him. She openly yeah. admits to her actions. She never hides what she does. And again, that shows you that she thinks she's a hero of her story. Mm-hmm. And in, if you turn it around a little bit, and if she wasn't as aggressive with her, you know, basically strip mining of this thing, she'd be a great character. Just a, she'd just be a natural character. A business but she'd character. also be a character that it was overrun. Yeah. Because if she was less aggressive, the other, the, the, the samurais that were Lord. coming, the Lord's samurais who were coming and attacking them all the time would have taken or their Koto. iron and would have, yeah. Or Koto and the boars would have. Or the boars would have. So it's, it's really... Uh, three-sided incident and it's it's pretty interesting in in when you look at it from that perspective are there any other major themes that we want to cover before we get into all the dead animators (laughs) (laughs) move on so we're watching this film last night and we're constantly this is a joke that we came up with uh in the last 
movie, Whisper of the Heart, at how some of these animations are so amazing that we're pretty sure that the animators and the artists have gnarled, crippled hands after working on these films, and that as beautiful a movie as Miyazaki can make, he's just destroying people in the process. Uh, and and there's so many dead animators. There's a retirement home in Japan. Just for... Uh, there's like 28-year-olds with like gnarled up arthritic hands that can never work again. I worked on Miyazaki. <laughs> and you know, no, I can't eat with a spoon. I mean, I mean, one of the things is, you've got to think, right? The budget for this film was about $23.5 million. Mm-hmm. It made $160 million back. And that's with very minimal CGI. So everything in this thing was hand-drawn. So there's long nights, early mornings, a whole lot of cherry brand cigarettes, and <laughs> crippling carpal tunnel. Like, on, that, on that note, at $23.5 million, this was the most expensive animated movie made up to that point. Um, it was also the last major animated motion picture to be animated on plastic animation cells. After no. that, they all went to computers. Is that just Ghibli animation, or no, is that all together? in the world? This was yeah. the last yeah. major animated motion picture in the world to use plastic animation cells. And this came out in '97, right? Yep. Yep. Yes, Akira came out before this. Yeah, yes. at least almost ten years before. Yeah. Akira came out in '88, and that still holds. If I'm not saying that's Akira, still holds the record for the most animation cells used in a sequence, which oh. is that opening motorcycle. I think it's over 130,000. Wow. And uh, in this movie, uh, 550 individual colors were used in wow. making this movie. Because they, because, they were, because they were doing plastic animation cells by hand, you've got the artists that are blending colors by hand. Yeah. And if I need a greeny bluish for that little speck of water, I'm going to make my own greeny blue what? and blend it and make the greeny blue just for that one little part. So 550 individual colors. That makes about- me think of uh, the thing you were telling me about how... Uh, now that they're starting to remaster old films when they went back to Cinderella because it was hand done. It was, it was Snow White. Sorry, Snow White. Yeah. The the remastering is so much more effective and they have so many colors 16, because it was hand painted and individual hand colors used in Snow White. When they went back and digitally, digitally remastered to find all of the colors to make it digital. Yeah, 16,000 colors. It's amazing. So what, what other facts you got for us? Um... In Japan, it replaced E.T. as the biggest grossing picture in Japan until Titanic. Wow. And uh, the last little factoid I gleaned here was that the, um, the English release was stalled for two years because they did a test screening in St. Paul, Minnesota, and yeah. the audience hated it. <laughs> so it took them two years to sort of for, have everybody forget that and sort of retool and rejigger. And I know Neil Gaiman wrote the um, Americanization. Yeah. Of the script, but after that, it was retooled um, a bunch of times. Yeah. If you can, if you can find it, um, actually, I have to send this to you guys. Okay. Because um, I have the original Miramax pressing DVD of this, and on it is a documentary, and Neil Gaiman's in it. Um, same thing with Keith David, Billy Bob, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, Billy Crudup, Claire Danes. Are they're 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 all in it, talking about it, and they all basically come up to one thing. They're like. This movie's beautiful. Like, we know Disney can make some beautiful stuff, but they're not killing artists like they are. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Snow White, beautiful. Cinderella, beautiful. But man, oh man, it still has the, the stuff that is indicative of American animation. I, I think this art style and, and the quality of art that they have produced in this movie is puts to shame animations we're seeing today. Oh, absolutely. Still. Like, this is, 
you've got a bar, and this is a, a part of that bar. I, I really think, and you know, it's way higher. It really I, took until Pixar, yeah, for Disney to come anywhere close to what Miyazaki was doing. And the thing is, is they used you know <coughs> warehouses worth of computers and rendering software and armies of people and kajillions of dollars to do what a bunch of arthritic 17-year-olds <laughs> were, were doing in Japan, drawing by hand. They yeah. just keep getting younger and younger. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you, have, you have to realize the reason why? John Lasseter's the reason why the House of Mouse has Studio Ghibli now. He headed that front. And in fact, he I think he's the best one for it because he gave them the double bird when he made Pixar because they fired him. Mm-hmm. He got canned by the House of Mouse. He said, okay... Got you. And he made Pixar, and now they have to eat all the crow. So uh, one thing I do want to say before people scream, uh, because Jason was constantly telling us this, it's not released as a Disney movie, uh, Princess Mononoke. It's released by Miramax because Disney did not want to touch it. Well, that was their adult label. Yeah, that's their adult label. And let's not forget, uh, it's similar to why Disney did not release Nightmare Before Christmas, but... Touchstone did yep. Yep. because they didn't want the Disney castle and label on there because, you know, it's scary. It's scary. Yeah, and I mean, I think Mr. Boogeyman and bad. Yeah, I can't. I think the Blu-ray release of this came out I think a few, just well, a few years ago. It wasn't that long ago, so it took them what a decade <laughs> to let this come out under the Houses of Mouse, you know, castle. Yeah. So uh, now that we've all. Said a lot of things. Uh, Tech, is there anything that you need to rant about before we move on to ratings? Because you have pages of notes and... Music, characters... Oh, the characters themselves? Uh, yeah. Um, I think in, in watching this movie, you could rename every single character in this movie as Pants. And, <laughs> and nothing would change. Uh, because they were... They were cookie cutter, they were bland, they were dull, they didn't do anything, they didn't change, they didn't develop. It's like, dude got cancer, chick had guns, she ran a brothel, dude had leprosy. You know, and then nothing happens. You're actually right. Uh, like, as much as I love the all the attributes that we said about Lady Oboshi, she doesn't change her mind about anything. She stays with one firm viewpoint, son is the only one that starts to become flexible, but she's really got to be dragged. And then and, and then at the end, she just runs away again. Yeah, yeah. Well, at that point, the, the current force leader, which is Moro, is dead. Right. Yeah. Um, so they need a leader, and the strongest one among them is Song. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other two wolves she has, her, her, her brothers, they're too young. Um, and obviously, San is still more gifted and skilled than they are. Um, the only other creatures you see in it are the monkeys, and they're ridiculous. <laughs> you know, give us the man creature. We shall eat his flesh. So the, th- the thing with San also is where she is a human, but she is the strongest forest character. It kind of leads into a whole combining of the two societies. Um, and then Prince, what's his name? With Ashitaka as the yeah. bridge. With Yeah. Um, although there's a love story, they split up, like, they could totally get together. They split up, and he's like, but I'll stay close. But he's taking care of the human side, although at one point he was protecting the forest. Yeah. So that's kind of where those two intertwine 
the societies also. I kind of want San to meet Mowgli. I think they'd have a lot to chat. <laughs> you know, because it's, you know... Yeah. Well, they were raised the same. Exactly, uh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, for Mowgli, Mowgli was more of like a passive character, I mm-hmm. think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, he, he wasn't really in charge of his destiny. No. You know, but... but well, which is why he had to be returned to the man village. Who was already... In you know yeah. uh, considered one with with, yeah. with the with the wolves that she ran with and so and to me that was a little, I think the most appealing thing uh, uh, is is uh, was brought up earlier about uh, the, the strong feminine uh, mm-hmm. aspects of it without it being uh, princessy feminine if mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it was like it, maybe those characters are replaceable but in one way I would say that. Uh, Having female role models like that or leads like that, it didn't matter that they were a woman, if, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. And in, in, in the sense that, uh, and that's a good thing because that's real equality right there. Because you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman. Here's a strong leader, and she is a woman, but it isn't because she's a woman that she's a strong leader. If that makes sense. And, the, and that's the beauty of, of all, yeah, yeah, that's the beauty of, of character of yeah. all the Miyazaki films so far is that there's been nothing titillating. Yes. It's not their yes. sexuality that makes it. And, you know, this is a movie. Considering of, it was a brothel, I thought that was a good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> em- empowered sex workers. Yes. There's no sex at all in this movie. Well, yeah. it's really it's funny. Great. It's really funny when Ashitaka goes to visit them because he even, they even say, hey, why don't you come over after you finish eating and see where we work yeah. instead of hanging out with these guys? And he's yeah. like, sure, I'd like to do that. He comes and he actually takes over and starts running the bellows. Right. And they so even takes tell, a shift. They yeah. even yeah. tell him, hey, you're not going to be able to keep that pace up. And while he's doing it, one of the girls' kimonos kind of come open. She goes, hey, keep that kimono shut tight, girl. And she like, covers it. Yeah. So they show that they're not trying to be timid, that yeah. these women yeah. are above that now. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to I wanna move on to ratings so that we can get a little bit of Q&A going. Uh, so we're going to start over here and work our way down. Uh, rating for... I give this three out of ten giant two-tailed wolves. Uh, like I said before... <coughs> Yeah, I can just hear the hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're right. stomping on people's nostalgia here, buddy. Yeah, keep, keep hating. I, keep hating. Because you know what? This I is sim- your name into this rose. There we are. <laughs> this is this is the same. This is the same idea that I had for the rating that I gave for Whisper of the Heart. That it was an uninteresting movie, but it got the Ghibli things right. Except this thing lost a lot of the Ghibli. That it got none of the music right. Uh, the voice acting was good. The animation was great. But beyond that. Um, it had bland characters, bland music, it had a boring plot, nil development, and yeah, keep hating. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hate all you want. I feed on it. I feed on it. Your t- your tears is what lubricates you, my broken knees. I think you picked the wrong um, Twitter name. Uh, I think you need to be uh, the, the geek salt. that rants or something like that. The geek that rants. So he does thrive on ranting. I, do, I, I did not enjoy my time in this movie and all of the ecological and um, you know the feminist themes I thought they got fantastic but when it got to the the ecological themes and you know everything that they were trying to do with that it felt like what Miyazaki did don't slam the table please no is he got his hands and he put them into two hams his fists into two hams and he went Yes, look, I'm making point. I smash point into feeble head. It was so over the top and so badly done. I, I'd rather watch Fern Gully 83 times than watch this See, movie. See, now, Fern Gully. 
you're not rating. Fern Gully is a movie that is ham-fisted about protecting the environment. Uh, so I am going to rate this. I, it, it's, it's a difficult one, and I do think that our way of viewing this may have skewed things. Uh, I will not do that in the future. But I'm, I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10 wormy cancers. Uh, <laughs> because... I, there's so much that I liked about this. There's so much. I'm sorry. I, I really upset somebody there. Um, there is so much that I do love about this. And it has an ending. A proper ending. I mean, that that's like two points right there. 45 minutes later. Yeah. But um, we got an ending for once in a Miyazaki film. We got an ending. I will say, so far this is my least favorite that we've seen. But it's still better than most films out there and a lot of anime out there and a lot of other animated films. So just because we rate things harshly, it, it's, it comes from a place of love. I do want that people to understand that. But I, I just... It didn't feel... My heart wasn't bursting with some sort of emotion when I turned the movie off. Whereas every other film afterwards, I mean, I was filled with emotion the entire time. I mean, Kiki, I was... Floored with emotion. Totoro, I was like still ready to cry, even though I found out May was alive. <laughs> um, it just, there's, there's, there's that level of emotion that I was just missing. Jen. Where the Oedipus dudes again? The Kudamas. Thank the you. <laughs> okay. Oh, they're so, the best. Dudes. So I'm going to give this 5 out of 10 Kudamas. Mind you, I keep wanting to call him Little Adipose. By the way, she's Adipose. the one that's been saying how much she loves this, and we have the same rating. No. No? No, no. that was me. Oh, I thought you loved this too. No. Oh, okay, go on. Keep talking. <laughs> we'll talk about that after. Oh, my gosh. So, I like this film. I do. Um, it's gorgeous. The story, I want to cut out like 45 minutes of it. There, there's a lot of it that doesn't need to be there. But if you actually take that and skip over and pay attention to the story and what's going on between the wolves, the apes, the boars, the humans, it's a great story. It's just, it really is, it drags too much and I, I have no patience. It could have been a series. It could have been. Yeah. 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 You know what? Maybe if, if it had been like a 12-part miniseries... Maybe I would have liked this more. Yeah. Maybe that would have been awesome. Jason. Drag this out to like a whole six hours. <laughs> I. We're running out of time here. I will give it seven iron bullets. And I will give it that high rating because, again, I have to separate from my nostalgia. This was the second Miyazaki film I ever saw. I saw Kiki first. Um, but this was the first one I ever bought. Um, and, and there's a lot of nostalgia there for me, and I love the combat in this. I love the characters, and I love the way it looks. But it is long, and that's one thing I'll take away from it. And since I've seen all of Miyazaki's stuff, um, again, I think I've said this every single one we've done. There's things coming up that you will see the aspects of this in done so much better. Um, and I think... You know, you guys will have a ball when it gets there. So, um, seven out of ten iron bullets. Laura, I would also give it seven out of ten sex positive sex workers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, and 
not only coming from a an area of nostalgia, but also because it is. I viewed it as an art piece, mm-hmm. and and less like a motion picture and more like an art piece that told a story. And yeah, it took it took, it took its time, but for me personally, that's actually a very beautiful expression. So um, awesome! Yeah. Uh, did you have an out of anything or just? Seven out of sex ten. positive sex. sex oh, sex positive. positive. And I chanted how awesome it was. Sorry. ADD, yeah. it's a thing. Hi. I need more hey. caffeine. Greg. Hey, um, I actually am going to probably give it the highest uh, of yeah. the panel. Is uh, eight uh, out of ten little droplets that eventually make a, a, a rock. It's still a wet rock. Um, and, and part of it is, is that when I saw it, I was already aware of how good Miyazaki was because it was like my third or fourth one. And uh, um, and I had I was surrounded by people that already had prepared me for like some of the thematic things that I would be seeing. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, especially the strong uh, uh, feminine themes. Uh, that that was that was one thing I took out of it. Of course, the artwork was absolutely gorgeous, especially in the la- latter half of the movie. Um, I liked the fight scenes. Uh, I didn't give it 10 out of 10 because, yes, it is a bit long, and I think for American audiences, that's going to be a little difficult. We're used to a lot of flash in the pan, got to be done, got to fix it an hour with commercial breaks. My God, um, ruined us. Yeah, you know, and I can't imagine an a, a edited-for-TV version of this. They would, <laughs> they would destroy it. Oh, um, yeah. It'd be 22 minutes. Yeah. Like It'd just be com- rain on, it, on rocks. It was 17 commercials for the last Obama. prisoner episode, and yeah. that dates me. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, we don't have any real time for a normal Q&A, which is what I had planned, but if anybody is bursting, you have to say something. Uh, please raise your hand, and I'll, I'll call on you. If not, you can beat us up in the hallway. <laughs> Um, right. So, me, this movie, it's about a conflict of ideals, and mm-hmm. um, I just, I think, you guys were um, saying that a kind of movie was that the characters don't develop, but I feel like the statement that um, Miyazaki was trying to make about, like, the progression of society and stuff, I feel like it's better that they didn't change. Okay. Yeah. I was actually making that myself. It's a fair point. If you yeah. are, everything is so static, uh, it's... And it's just not nothing is going to change. The only thing that stays the same in a positive way is that no matter what the hell the humans are doing, the you know Lord of Nature is going to keep going. It's like we can destroy ourselves. Yeah, that's that is. I'm still going to be here in the end. Oh yeah, yeah no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, and you're right. No, that, that's yeah. a, that's an incredibly fair point, and it's it's a really powerful point that the movie was trying to make with giant hams on yeah. his fist as he's beating to death with yeah. it. All right, thank um, you so much, everybody, for coming. Uh, you can find Greg at what website? Uh, you can find me everywhere. Just look up Greg Larson on Google, uh, and but. Uh, my, my new book, Space Bitch, is uh, space-bitch.info. Awesome. And, uh, leads to my uh, Amazon author. Laura? Uh, ResonantMoon.com. You can find out more about my audio stuff and look for Stonebriar Case files on Amazon. So talk nerdy to me, podcast, and nimlos.org. If you guys want information, you can come up for stickers or business cards uh, for information. Thank you so much. I'm sorry uh, we didn't have more time for Q&A. Thank you. You can do an hour and a half panel. Hi, my name's Jim, J-I-M, an ordinary name, I'm an ordinary IT guy.
but I work in a really interesting place. Information technology and giant monsters. This Kaiju Life. Look it up on Apple Podcasts or on the web at kaiju.libsyn.com. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42.